Coming to you live from beautiful downtown Brooklyn. It's America's downtown at the Brooklyn Paper Building. This is Brooklyn Paper Radio. I'm your host, Vince DiMaselli. Of course, uh, sponsors are uh, Dr. Joseph Lichter and Village Caremax. Right there, John? That's right. Live the life you want to live. We're back after the Thanksgiving break. How was your Thanksgiving, Johnny? Very nice. How about you? you? What you do? Anything? You know, I don't even eat turkey. It's not a special day All for right, me. So you just had a terrible Thanksgiving. You yeah, didn't it was fine. Anything. Quinoa burger and a potato. It sounds awful. How about you? Well, I had a great time. I went to Plymouth, Massachusetts. Oh, no way. That is the birthplace, the birthplace of Thanksgiving. Did you see The Rock? I did not see The Rock, but every time we passed a rock while in Plymouth, I pointed out the window and said, there it is, Plymouth Rock. That's right. Got to laugh every time. That's good. I laugh right now hearing that. Every time. I watched the Thanksgiving Day Parade. How was it? The Thanksgiving Day Parade. The Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. It's funny you should say Macy's. Always watch it until uh, Santa comes at the very end. Watch it with my kid. My wife made me laugh. You want to hear how? Sure. Well, if you don't. Let's hear it anyway. Too bad. I'll tell you anyway. So we're watching the Macy's Parade, and all of a sudden they bring in this band that's from... um, it's from uh, Alaska. So I say to my son, wow, look at that. There's a band from Alaska. People actually live in Alaska. That's right. And my wife said, yeah, and they're all here in the band, which made me laugh a lot. <laughs> me too. And then she said, and if you look closely, some of them <laughs> are bears. All right. <laughs> I don't know why. That just made me laugh a lot. It was good. But it was the Macy's, uh, the Macy's Parade. And it's funny that we should mention Macy's because... As you know, Black Friday has come and gone. I heard it was a big hit this year. That's what I hear. It's come and gone. Cyber Monday, too. It's also come and gone. Yeah, Cyber Monday. It's also come and gone. Yeah. And uh, today on the show, we're going to talk a little bit about the history of shopping uh, with Michael Lissicki, who's got a new book out. It's called Abraham and Strauss, It's Worth the Trip from Anywhere. And that book chronicles the rise and fall of Brooklyn's beloved downtown department store, ANS. When I was a kid growing up, you know, and I'd go to my grandmother's house, on uh, on Christmas, you still look like a kid growing yeah, up, right. quite frankly. Uh, I'll tell that to the photos I saw of myself this weekend. <laughs> um, my grandmother would uh, always every Christmas Eve we would wait till midnight to open up presents at her house. All the cousins and everyone, the family, and everything that my grandmother bought in Bensonhurst at that house in Bensonhurst on eighty on eighty uh, second Street between sixteenth and seventeenth came in a Macy uh, in an A and S uh, box. No, it was, there was no Macy's. It was no Macy's. It was only ANS. But uh, Michael, I want to welcome you to the show. Round of applause. <laughs> Great to be here, Vince. All right. So now, ANS, it, it um, Abraham and Strauss, is, as it was officially called, anchored Brooklyn's downtown shopping district along Fulton Street for more than a century. In its heyday, back in the 1940s, the store employed more than 2,400 full-time workers. They who happened to enjoy a card room, a gymnasium. There was a hospital. And there was an employee library on site, and on average, about seventy thousand customers a day uh, shopped at ANS in downtown Brooklyn. That's pretty right? good. And for years, uh, Brooklynites skewed Macy's and Gimbel's and uh, all those stores on the other side of the river for Brooklyn's uh, behemoth, where they could buy clothes, they could buy liquor, they could buy ice cream, they could buy appliances, and they could even have dinner. On a restaurant in a restaurant on the fifth floor, it remained the flagship. Uh, the downtown store remained the flagship of the of that uh, retail empire, which included stores. Uh, I know when I was growing up, I used to go to Willowbrook out in uh, in New Jersey, the Willowbrook Mall. That was my that was my ANS. 
they had him in Long Island. They had him. Uh, they even had some in Philadelphia, down where oh. where you're from, <laughs> or near. <laughs> and uh, so I want to welcome to your show, and I want you to tell us a little bit about the book and what got you interested in these downtown department stores, because apparently there. A&S wasn't the only one. Macy's wasn't the only one. Gimbel's wasn't the only one. Every, every city had its own downtown department store, and A&S was one of them. So why don't you tell us about your love of department stores? Well, what I find interesting is before you even start the whole segment, you're, you're sitting here telling me about or telling us, all the, the listeners, about Christmas for what Christmas was like. And I could see, like, you're lighting up. And, you know, you don't have to be a woman or a man or a mother or a father. You think about these places that were part of just commercially and socially, which were part of our lives, part of our identities. I was born in 1964. I'll admit it. You can press the applause button if you want. You got it. Hold on for it. It's 1964. Last year of the baby boomer generation. Oh, there you're we, the le- you're the end of the baby boomer. I boomers. am the final member. Then we go to Generation X. That's me. Are you Generation yeah, X? Yeah, seventy one. Oh Lord, yeah. Well, I'm an old man. Oh, yeah. But but you still you don't you, look old. But you still lighten up when you we brighten up when you think of these places. What I saw at the time was an era of something I felt was permanent. And uh, and just kind of identified with a lot of these cities, and I started to see them decline. And I didn't understand how these places that have been here for like generations. I mean, looking back to the beginning of of uh, Abraham and Strauss, when we go back in there, I mean, that's 1865. But like, how are these places? I'm seeing with my mom and family members. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing them go. I'm seeing them slowly go, and wondering why. What did I do? And you know, a lot of the times, I mean, you're turning the other way. I know what Fulton Street looked like back in the 70s, 80s. I knew what other cities looked like in mm-hmm. downtowns. But as they started to go, and the first one to go, I'm going off on like a rant right now. That's fine. The first store that really got me going to think that these places were not permanent was Gimbel's. Okay. I remember when Gimbel's closed. And, and that, yeah. The reason why I knew what Gimbel's was growing up was because of Miracle on 34th Street. Absolutely. When you watched Miracle on 34th Street as a kid, around Christmas it would come on, or usually around Thanksgiving, um, they had the scene where where Santa tells people, well, you can't get it here, but if you go... He actually, at first, he doesn't mention Gibbles. He mentions like a, a very small <laughs> store, but eventually it becomes... It becomes uh, it becomes well. You can go to Gimbel's, or you, I don't. I look to see if I could find the scene if he mentions A and S. I don't because I, I don't remember. Think, the, yeah, I remember the them showing them. They would have the brochures with the ads from all the other stores. Oh, that's a great scene. And, and they're, they're, yeah, and they're, they're flipping. flipping through the pages, and that's where I learned about Gimbel's. You know, besides, of course, all the television commercials when I was a kid growing up. There was take a good look at Gimbel's was was the motto for Gimbel's. Uh, uh, Do you remember nobody but nobody undersells Gimbel's? That I don't remember. That pre that probably predates. I would say Gimbel's closed in the in the late eighties. June wow, June nineteen eighty six is when they finally threw it. The company threw in the towel. This British American tobacco. They threatens to close Gimbel's. Mm-hmm. And it's like, look, look at you lighting up when you're talking about Miracle <laughs> on Thirty Fourth Street. I'm serious. Yeah. And it's just like, no, Gimbel's isn't going to go. Look at that movie alone. Right. I mean, it's just it's part of. You don't have to be from New York. The, the metropolitan area or wherever, Gimbel's is going to be here. Don't worry. Don't worry. And when, the it, case. and when it went, it was just I I realized these things weren't permanent, and I wanted to study their, the stories of these stores. So that's the, the Gimbel's clo- closing is what got you really interested in it. But you had to 
like going to these stores as a kid, you must have recognized as I didn't, you know, when when I went to Macy's, I went, you know, I grew up on Staten Island and I would go to the Staten Island Mall mm-hmm. Macy's, which was a suburban sprawl mall. I mean, it was just you know, it had three floors, you know. I would watch cartoons. I'd watch the Warner Brothers cartoons, and, and they'd always have a scene with Bugs Bunny inside one of these department stores in the city, and there's a guy in the elevator telling him, all right, fourth floor, ladies wear, kids, you know, and they tell you, like, all these things. And that that wasn't anything like the, the shop that I went to, but you must have noticed that, wow, this is something special when you walked into this, like, ornate uh, with chandeliers, I, I know the one in uh, the Wanamaker's in Philadelphia uh, had a pipe, but still has a pipe organ. Still in has there. the world's largest pipe organ there. Like, so you, Thirty thousand pipes there. So you recognize this stuff as a child growing up? Did, did you did you see that or? I just liked how every place was different. Every, I mean, we are not all the same. Look right across the harbor, you're different. Oh, no, no, we hate that. <laughs> but that's what kind of really got me going. And it didn't have, I mean, when I went into these places, yeah, I love these old downtown ones because they had such character mm-hmm. and they had such, um, like there was a certain aura to them. Mm-hmm. I don't know what we did in them. And I didn't mind going, we went to plenty of the malls. And though your you're talk about the suburban sprawl of like the Staten Island Mall, which is where your Macy's was, that was still a social event while you were going there. Mm. Now, in the malls when they were in their heydays, oh, let's yeah. say the 60s into the 70s. No, growing up in the 80s, we all, the mall was the place, if you if you grew up out there, it was the place that you worked. If yeah. you grew up in the suburbs, you worked at the mall. Uh, my first job was at a Foot Locker. There you go. You know, and we had, we had a uh, Macy's and we had a Sears and then they added a JCPenney. Uh, probably when I was in in college, they added the JCPenney. They expanded it. So if and you worked at Foot Locker, who owned Foot Locker? I think it was Kinney. Who owned Kinney? I don't know who owned Kinney. Kinney Woolworths. Shoes. Oh, was it Woolworths? Remember Woolworths? Yes, of course. Well, Woolworths. Why are Woolworths gone? The Five and Dimes were... They called them Five and Dimes, John. You know what that means? <laughs> no. Well, you know how nowadays they have a 99-cent store? Okay. Where everything's, or uh, now they'll have a $5 store, Five Below. Five Below, yeah. Or something like that. Back in the in, in you know the early days of the, the downtown Main Street store. Okay. You know, a Main Street store wasn't, you know, it was part of the, it was part of, you know, the, just the, like, like the little town store was, was your Woolworth. And uh, and then they had Wilco, I remember. Oh, Wilco, Wilco, yeah. And Wilco. Um, and they were called five and dimes because basically everything in the store costs a nickel or a dime. That oh, was the idea. Five and dime. All right. They were I called gotcha. five and dimes. I like then. it. Well, you but had that beautiful Woolworth building in Lower Manhattan. That that's used... my father's favorite skyscraper. Still the, is the Woolworth, and there's a pool in there. But it had that was never a store. No, that was always just a, the their... cathedral of commerce. Yes. I think they were called. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, yeah. All the... right. Don't get me started on Woolworths because <laughs> then we'll never talk about Abraham. And no, we got we're supposed to talk about A and S. I said that my grandmother used to get me everything she got. She shopped at A and S. When we were growing up, there was a song we used to sing about Macy's. Did you ever hear the Macy's song? Sing it to me. I won't go to Macy's anymore, more, more. There's a big fat policeman at the door, door, door. He'll take you by the collar, make you pay a dollar. So I won't go to Macy's anymore, more, more. That was a Brooklyn. <laughs> they they loved their A and S. They weren't going to Macy's. That I don't know where it came from. Must have come I from A and S. But know. we but we, no growing up that was. <laughs> that's what that's what we used what to say. You, I was afraid to go to Macy's on Staten Island because of that song. You I, didn't even have Macy's in New Jersey at Bamberger's over there, but Macy's yes. owned Bamberger's. Macy's that, bought Bamberger's 1929. Oh, it was that that early on. Yeah. Now, you know, Macy's and A and S are connected. 
and not just because they're they were across the river from each other. I read your book. You did it over the weekend. I'm biting my tongue. I want you. To, yeah, I want you. To, I want you to talk about the. There was a connection between A and S at the beginning, and there was a connection between A and S and Macy's at the end. Why don't you tell us I about those that. connections? Because that's what always. I mean, Abraham and Strauss. I mean, you're always. Um, and it was hard to do the book a little bit at first because mm-hmm. you want to talk about the book as Abraham and Strauss, but it wasn't Abraham and Strauss. It was Wexler and Abraham. Yes. So I couldn't say Abraham and Strauss before it was founded in 1865. Strauss. When I think of Strauss. You got you either think of Isidore and Ida who went down in the in the Titanic who are huge. Uh, they were the owners. Uh, were they in the movie? I there were at least I know the, ast- the Astors t- were. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Molly, Molly Brown. Yes. <laughs> and how's uh, but, that movie end? By the way, uh, it doesn't yeah. end well. <laughs> Fiddle fizzles away. Okay. Um, and uh, the, the Strausses owned. They, they, they were crock, in the crockery business. They ended up buying, the brothers ended up buying up R.H. Macy from Macy. And so from the is, original Macy. From the original. So that Macy movie. that was in, Mr. Macy, who There's was in. There's no Mr. Macy. There was no Macy. Mr. Macy in Miracle no. on 34th Street. He was there, but he, he didn't exist. We had a Mr. Gimble. Yes. There was such a thing. I mean, Bernard Gimble was an incredible merchant. We don't have merchants anymore. All right, I'll go on off on a tangent. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, the. Isidore and Nathan, those two brothers were involved with R.H. Macy, and they became in the biz. They opened up a part of the crockery business inside of Wexler and Abraham. Uh, Wexler and Abraham never had a great relationship; always kind of controversial. Booted him out, brought Strauss in, but only as investors. You wondered about Abraham and Strauss. If you're associating it with R.H. Macy, well, was there much managerial? crossover. There wasn't. I mean, Strauss was more of the investor in Abraham and Strauss. After the Titanic went down, mm-hmm. then there really was a public divide between the two brothers mm-hmm. as far as who was going to get Macy's and who was, and who was going to do the other and whether the fight within the family. That's what brings a lot of these department stores, gosh, infighting, mm-hmm. especially when you get into cousins. My God, then that all falls apart. But then, as you mentioned at the end, as the whole department store Industry is consolidating. So, they, but they were together, and then they were they were together, and they were one. Were they one company, or was it always separated? Always separated. But always, they were just investors, but in all in the family. Yes, mm-hmm. it was in the family, but they really were looked upon. They were not ever looked upon in the same light. Mm-hmm. There was a couple instances I found where they shared buying offices, but um, yeah, I, I the Abraham family, which. The Rothschilds, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they really were the pillars, the operators of that business and his family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, uh, Manhattan's Manhattan and Brooklyn's Brooklyn. I don't have to tell you that, do <laughs> I? I mean, they're two different places. And they were two different stores. And so they were separate for years and years and never actually competed with each other so much as they A&S had the Brooklyn people coming there and, and you know, Macy's had uh, Manhattan. But then, in order for ANS to really... The town was big enough for both of them. Absolutely. Yeah. And you had some other... I mean, look at Gimbel's over there. Look at... Um, yeah. I mean, that's a massive store. We can name a lot of those old... Older and that, that wasn't the case, or was that the case, in, the, in, in places like Boston or Philly? Where they, did they just have one big downtown store, or was it like New York had all these different newspapers, and then they closed up over time, and, and it was the same in, in, these, uh, in, in the other towns? No, you look, at, um, you look at, at the country in general, and there's only a handful of cities, let's say, that had big 
one-store cities, Columbus, Ohio, Lazarus, which is a huge company that basically is part of whole federated department stores. Mm -hmm. Lazarus in Columbus, you look at Hudson's in Detroit. What a massive store. Second biggest store in the country, in the world, a second to Macy's. Mm -hmm. And then you got Abraham and Strauss here in Brooklyn as the fourth largest right. in, the con in the world. And in order for ANS to effectively compete, to get people to come over here from all the boroughs, right. um, they had to offer everything. And they really did reach out to as many customers as possible. Johnny, these were called department stores yeah. for a reason. Uh, it sounds that way. They had department. You know how you go on your Amazon? Right. And you buy things. You get your Amazon Prime and all that stuff. Sure. Right. And you go in and you could pretty much buy anything. Whatever you want. When you walked into ANS... Or ANSs. ANSs, yeah. <laughs> it's a, we did a column about that years ago. I had a, a guy, Carmine Santa Maria. He added an S to every store. It didn't matter what it was. It was Walmarts. It was uh, it was uh, Targets, and it was ANSs. What about the? Nah, you never. The Home Depot. You take. You keep the the, or is it just Home Depot? I don't know. I don't think he shopped at Home Depot. Okay. He wasn't a do it Home yourself. Depots. He wasn't a do it yourself guy. The oh, Home Depot. Home Depot right. isn't old enough to warrant either right. an article before <laughs> it or the apostrophe s. You yeah. have to earn your right to have that certain endearment. Fair enough. But I love the s at the end. Of, uh, at the end of everyone, it was always <laughs> that's good. No matter what it was, Targets. He actually thought it was a French company, Target. There was one in Omaha they called Targetto. <laughs> <laughs> that's the other end of the spectrum. So. All right. Listen, we got to let's take a quick break. Yeah, yeah. Can we do that. We got a lot to talk about. Trust me. But we got to take a quick break. It's true. How long have we been on, Johnny? Uh, we're on twenty-one minutes. No, I mean in years. Couple, at least two. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Listen, are you looking for a dentist who provides quality care and affordable? I'm asking Mike. You are? Yes or I, no? I will always. I'm always looking for a dentist. You got to get your teeth done, right? Well, the dentist and skilled hygienist, Dr. Joseph Lichter, state-of-the-art office, used the most up-to-date technologies and techniques to provide you the best experience possible. You know about Lichter, Johnny? I do. You do? What, Sounds what do you like, like a great guy. What do you like most about Lichter? I like the fair prices. What about Invisalign? You like Invisalign? Invisalign is that alternative to metal braces that uses virtually invisible plastic aligners that shift teeth into place over a period of time. You like the Invisalign, Johnny? I love it, but not as much as... As what? The Zoom whitening. Ah, Zoom whitening. That's where they, love they it. whiten your and teeth. And need like, it. You got to get that done. You I know, do. it's all the coffee you're drinking. That's right. Listen, isn't it time you visit a high quality, state of the art dentist who keeps dentistry affordable so everyone can benefit? Why don't you call Dr. Lichter's office today to make an appointment? You could just show up there, but you could. it probably won't go over well. No. No, you, you probably want, you want to make that call. Is he going to make me get a night guard? Do you, I don't want a night guard. Do you grind? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. You should get it because what's going to happen is they're just going to go know. away. Yeah, I don't want to lecture though, but he sounds like a nice guy. No, I'm just telling you what to do. I'll okay. lecture you. I don't know what Lichter's going to do, but I'll, I'll lecture right, you. Right, right. Listen, I I know all about the grinding. Trust me. Seven one eight three three nine seven eight seven eight. You can set up an appointment that will improve your quality of life. Doctor Lichter is located at fourteen twenty Avenue P between East Fourteenth and East Fifteenth Streets in Midwood. And all you can always visit him online on the line all the time at josephlichterdds.com. That's right. And you know what, Mike? Some of our listeners know people who are worried about getting put in a nursing home. We always tell them, don't worry. You're in the right place. What you need to do 
is look into Village Care Max because you got to see what happens when healthcare gets personal. Village Care Max, Medicaid managed long term plan. They help you stay in your home and in your community for as long as possible. They get healthcare professionals to work with your doctor. They help you obtain the best healthcare options available. You want more information? Don't take it from me. Take it from Village Care Max at 1 800 469 6292. Or check them out online, villagecaremax.org, and see, sorry, live the life that you want to live. Yeah, live that life. You got to live that life. All right, we are back. Shop where you want to shop. Do what you want to do. I don't know. You want to be home. That's right. But then when you go shopping, you want to go shopping. That's right. And you want to shop at grand old department stores, like the ones written about in the many (laughs) books by my guest, uh, Michael J. Yeah, like What's the J stand for? Uh, jo- uh, John. Oh, my confirmation easy. name is Joseph, so it's Michael John Joseph Lasicki. If you want to put that, uh, in my confirmation name was also uh, my confirmation name, also Joseph. Congratulations! You had to do, we had to do that back in the day. Yeah, you didn't have. I'm Jewish, yeah. and my name's Johnny. Really? So how about that? So it all it all <laughs> it all comes together. Somehow. Now, I hadn't the first time I went into Macy's Herald Square. I was probably in my twenties, and uh, me and my friend Jimmy Mathis. Decided one day. We used to take a day off from work. Well, Jimmy didn't have to take a day off. He didn't work. But me, I had to take a day off. And I would do my Christmas shopping all in one day, usually like on a Tuesday when it wasn't that crowded and stuff like that. And one year we decided we're going to go to Macy's at Herald Square and we're going to do all our shopping there. And we did. And I was, you know, excited to see the, as we made our way up, because it's floor after floor after floor. As we made our way up, they, they were like wooden escalators. Still there. Incredible. Whoa. It was very, very wooden. Yeah, made out of made out of wood, Johnny. Never seen something like that. Yeah, wooden escalators. And then when it comes to ANS, the first time I went to the downtown ANS here, I was working at the Brooklyn Paper, nineteen ninety six. I probably went over there. It was already a Macy's. Yeah. But the first thing that you noticed when you walked into that store was was the the elevators. And it Again, it took me back to those Warner Brothers cartoons to walk in, and there was this grand area where all the elevators came down that could take you up to. I had no idea how big the store was. Now, were there are any of those elevators up? Because now over here at Macy's, it's gone. They they redid the place. They sold it. Yeah, uh, it's a much smaller store. It's, it's still it's still Macy's. It's and I got to tell you, it's it's a lot nicer than it was because it yeah. had fallen into disrepair. We'll get into that, but. Are there any more of these elevator, um, what would you call them, elevator? They called that, uh, it's usually referred to as the elevator court. Ah. And that was a real identifiable space. And when you think of A&S, A&S's, you think of that <laughs> elevator court. Because I don't know of any other department store where the elevator bank was so prominent when you walked in off the street. Yep. You've really done and um, and you had the operators. I mean, you ha- of course, you had elevator operators at all these. They weren't automatic elevators, but I don't. And at Christmas time, people remember here how they had the Christmas tree that was hanging from the ceiling from the very top at yep. the elevator court that you used to bang into. Uh, but I, even though that building, those buildings that consist of Abraham and Strauss there in Fulton Street, they were all supposed to be one big building. But then 1929 came, and they couldn't. They decided to put their money elsewhere. So it's just kind of a little bit of a hodgepodge over there. Because A and S was built of it was multiple buildings. It, it was not. It wasn't built all at once. Now it started out 
was it what what did it start out as they, they well they were someplace else and then they moved to Fulton Street yeah and when they moved to Fulton Street they had one store which I believe up until a few years ago or a few, a few months ago when yeah. they not, when they knocked it down what portion that was the main portion of the original store and what was that called that was considered that was the Wheeler building okay Wheeler and, yeah and they used that term Wheeler's Folly mm-hmm. because here he goes this guy Wheeler builds this ornate building for the time. Absolutely beautiful. In, in a strange part of Brooklyn. I mean, this was not the commercial center. Right. And it was supposed to be a very luxurious, very co- big cultural center. And it was, I mean, this was, I guess, kind of the sticks out here. Mm-hmm. You just, you would keep going down Fulton Street, take you to the ferry eventually. But it was, this was not, um, that was never designed to be a department store. Mm-hmm. So as it s- sat there under disrepair or slowly kind of decaying, it was when Abraham Abraham, love that, it's easy to remember his name, yeah. uh, was able to look at that building and wonder and have the foresight of knowing the bridge, being a supporter of the bridge and how that was going to... Yeah, a- the owners of ANS were big-time supporters of the, of the construction of the Brooklyn Bridge and even the but, consolidation of, of New York City, which, of course, we were dead set against when I was growing up. But... <laughs> Yeah, so he came, he saw. He had the foresight to recognize, now the subways are coming, people are moving further out into Brooklyn, it's not just Brooklyn Heights and, and the areas down here, and he had the foresight to say, well, this could be a good shopping district, and he bought that building around when? That, he bought, oh gosh, i got to open up my book a little bit, but that the building goes from 1873, but um, it took a little bit, uh, it took a little while, I mean, he didn't, uh, he didn't, turn it into Abraham and Strauss, per se, until 1893, when that whole partnership fell apart. Mm-hmm. But um, but that that building, I mean, you look at all the, um, it's just a bunch of addition after addition after addition. I mean, 1885, I mean, you have that, that building from 1873 to 1885, just kind of sitting there, this Wheeler building, mm-hmm. and that's when he decided to move it, move the business up there, leave um, they, 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 he talks about like Myrtle Avenue being like kind of the, the area, like Fulton and Myrtle, that yeah. area of being where the, the commercial district was, Back then, and then yeah. coming up here. And people followed him. Mm-hmm. People followed, people, oh God, I mean, we could sit and do a whole mini series pod class, podcast on <laughs> Joseph Wexler. And just some of the, stri- the, the, I mean, really idiosyncrasies. I mean, that was a real dysfunctional relationship. And, um, I mean, he was not really into making these broad moves. Mm-hmm. But they made that move, and that's when it became successful. At one point, it was the largest, at 200,000 square feet, it was the largest department store business in the state. But it kept expanding, expanding. Maybe that's part of that store's success was that it kept expanding, expanding. Yeah, very early on in your book, on, on the front pages here, there is a picture of the different buildings yeah. that became ANS and and when they were built. There's portions of it from 1873, portions of it from 1898, 1947, 1929, and it was. I mean, it's pretty much an entire city block between Livingston Street and yeah. um, and Fulton Street. Yes, and almost, not quite. Yeah, but almost. almost. And that the Wexler's part of it was, I think, the most ornate, the, the nicest looking from the outside. And I was very surprised when just literally a few weeks ago I walked by and it was gone. 
You Why know? was it green? Why did they paint that thing green? I don't. I don't Come know. Come on, it was a beautiful. My thing. assumption. Was, I just thought it was copper. No. <laughs> I mean, I know there was another department store in Washington that they painted. Yeah. And it's gone, but it's painted. And I was talking to a guy that does the uh, real his, uh, architectural historian down there. He's like, well, you could always remove paint. So I guess they could remove the green on this old Wexford building, but they removed the whole building. They did. It's gone, and it's going to be. I'm, I believe it's going to be condos. I think they're going to build a tower there, yeah, and it's going to be condos. It's unbelievable. And they're going to and replace the build. They're going to replace that roof. The roof where? The old Wexler building roof, the Mansard roof that they took off. That you remember mm-hmm. this, the triangular part that was green. Uh-huh. The plan is to replace it. Oh, see, I did not know that. I, well, I mean, that's I did not know that. So you learn stuff when I come on. That's, this show. that's not in your that, book, and and my reporter well, didn't tell well, me I, that. But when this book went to print. That was not in there as I didn't expect that roof to be replaced. I right. mean, there was talk, and I didn't expect the annex to be torn down today either. But it's gone. It's gone, yeah. and that's an important annex. We, could, if you want to, touch on that for a second. So, well, let me ask you. Yeah. In you said around 1929, they were talking about right before the Great Depression. They were yeah. talking about redoing the whole place, mm-hmm. right? Turning it into, I would guess, one. Big building. Yes, it was was. I didn't see the plans or anything. You mentioned it in, in the yeah. story. Had that happened, do you think? And I guess this goes toward the to the other um, department stores, historic department stores that are out there. Was there a chance that it might have been landmarked or something like that because it was like one big building? I, I don't know again what it would have become. But and are any of the other old department stores landmarked or protected either from the outside or or the inside? Yeah, you will see. Well, I mean, yeah, landmark status is you. You, you will find these on these department stores. I mean, how 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 heavy, especially exteriors. Interiors, mm-hmm. they'll uh, um, uh, unless there's something. Really we have uh, an old restaurant on uh, on um, on Fulton on Fulton Mall. Yeah, I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of it. I'm going to call Ed in a minute. <laughs> and he'll, he'll kill me. Um, uh, not Shake Shack. No, it's not Shake Shack. I just had it. I just had it. <laughs> Uh, but the old the old restaurant that's there, the interior of the restaurant had yeah. been the interior was landmarked. Sure. And then of course it closed. Um, I was going to say Gordon Biersch, but that's in San Francisco. Okay. They got one in Baltimore now. Gordon Biersch. Yeah. Well, they, they're expanded. I used to work there a long time ago. Hey, do you know Daniel Burnham, Ruddy architect? He did the Flatiron Building. He did Union Station um, in in Washington. But you're come. I mean, you bring up um, protection. Mm -hmm. He did the Filene's Department Store in downtown Boston, which also left in 2006. And there's an example of where the exterior was protected, but the interior was not. They could do whatever they want inside. Yes. So a lot of these buildings now. The New York Times just did a story this week. You know uh, how much the real estate is worth to these departments is worth more than department stores themselves, and that's what happened to A and S. A and S's. It uh, it was basically it was sold to Tishman, yeah. and it's gonna you know they did save the store, and as I said before, like I mean these are the, it is what it is today. Like you know a, a department store like that, I'm not sure how many of them can survive. You know Macy's is there, and like you said, you think it's going to be there forever. Who knows? But which one just which one just announced that they're not gonna they're gonna turn it into uh, into office space? Oh, you are Lord in Manhattan. And, it's Lord, Lord and Taylor. Lord and Taylor. That's a whole other podcast too. <laughs> I, I mean, Lord and oh, yeah, we could 
uh, Lord and Taylor. I'm not Gage sure and Tolner. Gage and Tolner is the restaurant. Okay. Uh, what is Gage and Tolner? Gage and Tolner yeah, was, a, was, was Brooklyn's. It was Brooklyn's. You know, premier. Uh, you know, upscale restaurant, steakhouse, and they had gas, um, gaslight, and natural gas lighting inside there. That's still there. All of that stuff has been uh, has been landmarked, and it's you know they keep talking about reopening it, yeah. and it just it never happens. I mean, at one point it was an Arby's, which was just <laughs> devastating. But you know it was like the type. Of, it was the same type, same type of place. You know, like just really, really ornate inside, and very, you know, very fancy, nice place to walk into, just like these old department stores were. And uh, but it's it's you know it's still there. It's landmarked, but it's not being nothing's being done to it. Well, I went into Lord and Taylor today because oh, I, yeah? I wanted to check, check it out, out, see what's going on, and nobody there either could answer or would answer. How is it going to shrink? Oh, because they are going to. Oh yeah, because they got WeWork. How big is be... how big is Lord and Taylor? I think that building is around. It's almost seven hundred thousand square feet, which for an old department store is not huge. Right, it's big. Yeah. But for Manhattan, well, how big is Macy's? Well, I think they like to say two million. Really, over two, maybe two point one. Wow. I mean, it. Um, and how much of that is stock? How much of that is sales space the, these days? I mean, that's always debatable. Right. And um, I mean, well, Abraham and Strauss—they had it at one point six million when it was. At, at, when what, it, yeah. at what point in time was that? When department stores were at their happiest in the early 50s. Let's okay, say 1953. 1950s? That was happy time for department stores. How many floors could you travel up and down? It, ANS over here. Oh, how? gosh. Now you're going to. Because there were so many different buildings. Right. There were different right. buildings you can go up um, and down. Okay. In yeah. the main building, let's say from the main elevator bank, how, how high up would you go? If I give you the wrong number, if I say About. eight or nine, yeah. and someone's going to say he's wrong, he's a fraud... Yeah, then so don't I, answer I don't it. want don't that because everybody sends. I can't answer it. Um, we got to uh, call. I got to call Ed. Check the department store museum website. You like department stores? Department store music. Department store museum website. You can go and find even the store directories of all these places. You want to know where stuff was in ANS? Go to that website. All right, we got to. I got to get Ed on the line. Hold on. I because want Ed, Ed wants to talk about about the. Uh, all right, please. Yeah, go ahead. You're good. It's very loud. It's very loud. I want an opinion on Ikea's at some point before right. we're out of here. Yeah, we have That's to talk funny. about old versus new. Yeah, get the new, the old, the whole thing. Put them on. Are we not going to talk Sears? If you know your extension number of the person you're trying to reach. Oh, we talk Sears. Please hold on <laughs> while I try that extension. Any minute now. Yeah, it's going. He better pick up. Hey, it's, it's, is that Ed Weintraub? Uh, it is Ed Weintraub. All right, Ed, you are on the air on Brooklyn Paper. Ed Weintraub, for our listeners out there, is my former boss. I like to call him my former boss. Not the, your boss anymore. No, he's not my boss anymore. He's a guy who made me what I am today. All right. It's been a while. It's been a while. And now he's an editor of some, uh, what do we call your newspapers out there? It's the Jewish Star newspaper. Yeah, we call Art. it an, an ethnic weekly. He's, he's, the, he's the editor of an ethnic weekly on Long Island. One of 20-some-odd. Uh, Newspapers published by Original Communication. Enough about that, Ed. <laughs> you are on the air with Vince DiMasselli, your good friend, and, of course, Michael J. Lisicki, who is the author of Abraham and Strauss. And I know growing up, Ed, A&S was your favorite store. Tell us about it now. Uh, it was great. Um, whether I would enter through the Hoyt Street subway entrance, you know, they had a direct passageway into the basement cellar of A&S from Hoyt Street. Uh, or I'd uh, shop uh, above ground. You know, when I worked at the Brooklyn paper, my 24-hour mm -hmm. days, 
three or four days a week uh, back in the day in the 70s and 80s. Uh, I'd sometimes need a, a new shirt or a fresh suit for an important event that I didn't plan for. And I'd run to A&S and pick it up and had anything you needed. So did you ever eat in the restaurant? I don't remember. See, that's the thing that gets me. When I went, to, I went to Lafayette in. I'm not uh, an old lady, Vince. I went to Lafayette in in Paris. Uh, you could have fooled me. I went to Lafayette in Paris. I think it's called Lafayette. It's a huge department store. Oh, Galleries Lafayette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, in Paris. When yeah, I went to Paris, yeah. I was like, we walk past. I said, we got to go in there. You know. So we walk in, and that place has a giant um, glass roof. Mm-hmm. That I mean, it's incredible, and they had a restaurant. And I went to the restaurant, and I had like a, st- you know, what do you get in, in Paris? What do you get? What kind of steak? Uh, steak frites. I don't eat meat, so <laughs> I got I got a steak, you know, quinoa turkey. Yeah, I got steak go. frites with a re- with a red wine, and I was wondering that if you'd ever had that here in uh, maybe knowing you, you probably got a pastrami sandwich. Did well, they have I, that? I certainly didn't have steak at ANS. <laughs> but did you go downstairs? I had it's Michael Lasicki here. Hey, did you ever go down? To saying your book. Well, thank you. Well, I look forward to you reading it too. <laughs> you should look forward to him buying it because he just wants me to lend this one to him. I'm like, no, 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 no. Do you remember? Does a name Priscilla ring a bell? They had a whole food line with Priscilla, named Priscilla, and they they had this ice cream in the basement. Does that ring a bell? Like a soft ice cream product? No. What year? Well, we're talking like 60s into 70s. Yeah, I, I, no. And even before, ah, that is like the big mystery. People are trying to find out who made that product. Who actually made the ice cream. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you can't find it. So now, Ed, you were there uh, during the, what we like to call the, the down years, right? Can you tell us a little bit uh, about... If what I was there, they couldn't have been all that down. <laughs> <laughs> but... Fulton Mall went through some tough times, and you were you were you were right there that whole time. You were working at the Brooklyn Paper from 1978. Yep. All right, up until you know through through the uh, through the aughts, and uh, you you saw Fulton Mall at its best and at, and at its worst. And what were some of the things that happened? You wrote a story about it, and we wanted to t- we wanted to talk about that, like some of the things that happened at Fulton Mall and at ANS during the the I guess the 80s, right? Yeah, you know, in the late 70s, things were really getting kind of grungy. The city had problems. Uh, subways weren't working right, which meant people were not as uh, happy to come shopping in an area where there were problems. Uh, we used to have multiple department stores. I'm sure you cover this in your book besides A&S. Uh, we had Martins. When I started the Brooklyn paper, Martins, an upscale, we used to call it a white glove store. Carriage uh, trade. People they, loved Martins. Yeah, they if you could afford it. The street from uh, A&S. Uh, but uh, things, times were changing. So city officials decided they were going to shake things up and build what they called a, a mall. If uh, you cover all this in your book. Uh, I do. And I'll have a question for you in a second about the mall. Okay. Well, I'm curious. If, if anybody remembers the Mary Tyler Moore show, <laughs> remember Minneapolis? Absolutely. The indoor walkways, mm-hmm. uh, which are popular. You know, as Vince knows, I love uh, the Midwest. I've been to Iowa many times, and Des Moines is all indoor mm. walkways. It's very popular in the Midwest, and they were basically planning to bring that to downtown Brooklyn. They were going to create a uh, two-level shopping experience. On Fulton Street, they wanted it to be indoor. There, there was, it was going to. One of the plans included linking the buildings on the second level to uh-huh. the way the Skyway ran in Minneapolis. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, 
guy named Klein who owned Barton's Candy, uh, which is a, was on um, just past Flatbush Avenue in Fort Greene. He got involved in this. There were very ambitious plans. Somewhere I've got books that show all these beautiful pictures, but the fact of the matter is they were overreaching. What they ended up doing was they built a transportation mall, which meant simply that they put in fancy paving on the street. They closed the, the street to automobile traffic and allowed only buses. This was not a very smart move. It's what they did, and um, the stores on the street, including ANS, continued to decline. By the time the Brooklyn paper was publishing in 78, 79, probably we're talking the early 80s, I remember visiting an advertising director for ANS, and she described how she would park her car in a garage, an outdoor garage, uh, three or four blocks from the store. And the phrase that sticks in my head is, I would run down the street as fast as I could, holding my heart in my hand because I was terrified by what was happening on the streets. This is the person whose job it was to promote the store and bring shoppers in. She wouldn't even park in the A&S garage because it was indoors and she thought it was dangerous. Um, you know, Vince remembers the stories about the uh, Christmas Eve riots. The, there we go. Uh, my favorite. Uh, you know, you, you wrote Eve. about it in the Brooklyn paper. I did write about it in the Brooklyn paper, and uh, the Daily News actually picked up the Daily Brooklyn paper story because uh, they weren't covering it. It's Christmas Eve. Who's working Christmas Eve? You know, it didn't matter to me. I'm Jewish. I was working. My <laughs> staff was off. The paper was closed. But I'd go and I'd hang out on Fulton Street on Christmas Eve. And what would happen is these these kids from uh, I, I don't want to somewhere in, the, in Fort Greene would mass in the area of Albee Square. And it was like a military assault. They, on a signal, and I saw this myself, so this is not hearsay. On signal, they would move along the street, and some would go into May's department store, some would go to A&S, some would go into the little stores, and they'd rip stuff off. They'd, they'd have maybe 15 minutes. I can't remember exactly how much time was involved. But these, these sort of tacit understanding on the street was that the cops would not arrive immediately. They could give these kids a little chance to steal some stuff. Then the cops would arrive. The kids would leave the stores. And then the kids would stay on the street selling the merchandise because people looking for last-minute gifts. This is now 5, 6 o'clock Christmas Eve. They, they had no choice because the stores closed because they were being assaulted by these kids. The kids now were selling their merchandise right on the street. This went on for maybe three years until I think we, we ran the story, and I used to call people up. I'd call uh, Mike Strasser, the head of the Fulton Mall Improvement Association at home. Why aren't you here? Well, finally, after about three years of this, the police responded, and they, they set up a task force, and they put uh, their trailers on the street, and things quieted down. But it took at least three years before that Christmas Eve problem. Ed, I think it's interesting because that's exactly how what I researched and, and heard from people, but to hear it from you firsthand, I mean, that's bang on. That's the, that's what happened. Um, except sometimes I hear 515 was the, was the kickoff of the party. But that certainly was when you talk about these Christmas Eve riots. I, I like to remember these places and circumstances fondly. 
And But I will say with Abraham and Strauss, not just so much here in Fulton Street, but also some of the surrounding branches, whether it's in Long Island or New Jersey, they, you, they have big shrinkage rates. Internal and external. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, it's a not shrinkage to, rate being stuff that's stolen. Stuff that's stolen that really um, cut into the bottom line. I don't know what that, why that was. I mean, I, I assume it's not just Abraham Strauss, but um, researching it. I mean, I know that with that Fulton Street store, it was easier to cut back on the shortage on this on that than it was to raise the the sales potential of the store. Well, you mentioned in your book that the. The ANS on, on Fulton Street had more arrests for shoplifting than they'd have at the at the precinct around the corner. But that's just like even <laughs> at Queens, at Queens Center, you also had. I mean, there was overflow out there. Yeah. But yeah, there you had these holding cells in these stores, and that's just you know that's. Do you remember the holding cells, Ed? Uh, and, were, and, and were you ever taken to one? <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess. No, I was not. <laughs> well. Um, do you have any other uh, memories of the ANS? Let's talk about some good memories of the ANS or from when you were growing you up. You know, it was uh, just a very neat place. It was a, a classy department store. Uh, as a kid from Brooklyn, you know, I, I would go in from when I was 10 or 11 years old. I used to go to, to Gimbel's and, and the Macy's uh, in Manhattan. But the, the one on Fulton Street was always my favorite. And I always seemed to be able to find what I needed. I can't say I can analyze their price structure in those days. I was a little, probably too young to mm-hmm. remember, but everything seemed reasonable, and uh, it was a great story. I, me- I remember the elevators, of course. I'm sure you talk about the elevator operators with the, right. uh, who, who knew everything. And yeah, don't you leak a secret to an elevator <laughs> operator? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> and to think that uh, that old building came down. Yeah. Uh, did, did the Brooklyn paper report that this was going to happen? No, we didn't. We didn't know it was going to happen until after after the fact. Kind of sneaky. Well, I mean, a lot of things happen in, in in the middle of the night, Ed. You know about that. You know the uh, the Thunderbolt, literally the Thunderbolt roller coaster was really knocked down in the middle of the night. Literally, yeah. Yeah, uh, illegally. Of course, when ANS uh, closed that part of the store in preparation for the demolition. They put the usual signs up, you know, renovation in progress. <laughs> but they're supposed we, to put that roof back up. I don't believe that. That's expensive. Well, I'll, we'll, we'll believe it when we see it. I know. I'll, you know? I'll be quiet. Do, do you write about the warehouse on um, Livingston? Um, it's mentioned in there, but not into any type of depth. I talk more about that annex and parking garage because it was the only parking garage of an inner-city New York store, department store. No other store in this in New York City, had its own department store parking garage. Really? And you also, when you mentioned coming in on the subway, how I, as my research showed, that ANS had the first subway entrance to a department store wow. in all of New York City. Now, when they built, did they actually pay for that when it was being built, or was that something that the, I mean, they must have been some deal work. Yeah, there. there's got to be deal. I don't have, you don't I didn't see any any direct. Because I mean, there when was, that subway was being built, it was not being built by the city. It was being built by some other. Oh, no, you, you had know. all these different corporations that were building all the different um, subway lines right. and, and elevated rails and all that stuff. So, yeah, there. I'm sure there, there was, he had some influence. Mm-hmm. The Rothschild family <laughs> and one they had some in, and Abrahams they had some influence. Well, so let's get to the the end of ANS because we you know we've talked about everything that happened, good and bad. Uh, but at the end now, this guy Robert Campo, uh, 
he comes in. Do you have a little boo meter on there? That you what do you have? Uh, we don't have any good boo. Ah, yeah. We okay. got to work on Johnny's sound effects. <laughs> usually, between, <laughs> usually between shows, all he's working on is sound effects. You'd think we'd have something. But. So he comes in and he leverages, I don't, know, I don't even know where he gets the money, but he borrows billions and billions of dollars to basically take over how many different... How many different uh, department stores did he did he buy up at that at that point in time? Well, he bought two companies, um, Allied Stores and Federated, one in '87, one in '88, and like, and Allied was Allied had Stearns in there, Jordan Marsh in Boston, Jordan bon- Marsh, Jordan Marsh, Jordan yeah. Marsh, and Bon Marche. Yeah, they had 24 different divisions. They also operated Bon Teller. Then he comes in and he he kills 16 of those divisions, moves, shuttles them off, comes in, and people still give him billions more to buy Federated. And he sells but, off. I mean, we're... So he... I don't know why people were giving him money. Yeah, that, that's what I'm trying to figure I out. I have no idea. He was able to... Con- I mean, he's a real estate guy up in Can- up in Canada, and they're just, for some reason, they, he, they were giving him money. That Look, we're talking about the... Mid to late 80s, as things are just kind of merger about. Yeah, it was crazy merger time. It was a terrible time. People who worked under him, I'm sorry, they did not. There are You don't have to apologize. Well, I know, but there's, <laughs> <laughs> if there's a lot of bad. I mean, people like to blame Macy's for the downfall of where department stores are now because it's kind of innocuous a little bit. They've taken over so many places. But if you really want to get mad at somebody, get mad at Robert Campo. So he comes in, he gets, he, he buys. Federated, he yeah. buys Allied. At what point does he get Macy's? Was Macy's part of either one uh, of those? He was a well. He was able to file bankruptcy uh, in 1990. They eventually took him out of bankruptcy because they kicked him off the board. Mm-hmm. And with the they they they, they, his, they Federated came out of bankruptcy because they said no more Robert Campo. And Federated and was ANS. Was a, was Feder- ANS, ANS started and Bloomingdale's yeah. and. Um, Yes, you you externs that was all part of now the new federated. Okay, and so ninety four Macy's teeters. You know the whole that's another leverage buyout thing, management buyout that that falls apart. Federated buys Macy's, so now you have these two huge companies merged together, Mm -hmm. and there was no need for there to be ANS and Macy's competing. And there's also you look at antitrust, but everything. And at that I mean, point in time, hadn't ANS just opened up like recently in the old gimbals? ANS when it, I mean that was the f- the feeling with Campo also liked uh, if you had to make it in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. At that point, it was just like you know big is better, and you had this opportunity to compete directly with Macy's that would show that you're a real competitor, a real powerhouse. That store was was interestingly laid out. It wasn't in the entire Gimbals, wasn't the gets a part of that Manhattan Mall, it was right. ANS Plaza, but it did it did fairly well. I mean people. Well, ANS, ANASians, as they called them in the 1940s, workers there, mm-hmm. um, they will defend that Manhattan store um, as being uh, something that they're very proud of that did that did well. Uh, Macy's, ah, gosh, they, they merge ANS with Jordan Mash in Boston. Mm-hmm. That wasn't for any type of strategic thing. That was for cost cutting. That was the beginning of the end. They talk about that Roosevelt Field store mm-hmm. when they open that up. And um, that was, they basically build it to make it look like a new Bloomingdale so they can convert it quickly. <laughs> and for those people, I know, I mean, I mean, buy the book if you love ANS, but if you loved Hempstead, 
that store, ANS had the largest suburban department store in the country with Hempstead, uh-huh. 1952. Was that the first one that they opened, or was that Well, the... they took over Lozier's, because they had Lozier's down here uh-huh. uh, on uh, by uh, in the Fulton area, and they had Garden City. They had a little branch in Garden City. Okay. And um, yeah. Which was the store that they kept adding floors to? I saw well, in your book. Well, they all did. I mean, I'm trying to, th- <laughs> I'm trying to think which one exactly um, they all... Adding the floors to, I mean, it probably was. was it was Nams. one of the Long Island stores. It was one of the Long Island. Oh no! Stores. Oh yeah, Hempstead. I'm, okay. I'm thinking of, of a different company. Oh yeah, Hempstead. They kept. They couldn't. Come on, you're trying to keep up with Levittown, the building mm-hmm. of Levittown. No one's out there. No one wants to travel in by train to go shopping in Brooklyn or, or Manhattan. So yeah, so Hempstead. Around that time, Ed, when when everything when uh, when when Robert Campo came in, you you were covering. A&S, you know, for business reasons, because it was one of the biggest businesses in, in Brooklyn, correct? Yes. Did you follow that story? Did you Absolutely. see Did you see the writing on the wall? We, we followed the story extensively. Uh, when they expanded uh, A&S itself, they opened in King of Prussia, which mm-hmm. was a big move for them. We sent a team of reporters to King of Prussia, uh, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. That's outside Philadelphia? Yeah. Yeah. They thought we were nuts. I mean, they couldn't understand. It's like sending Gersh uh, to Iowa to cover. (laughs) Who's Gersh? (laughs) Uh, We we were all over the A&S business story. We got very little advertising from them. And I mention this because part of the charm of A&S was its local uh, orientation and the allegiance that a lot of local people had to them. And in my experience at the Brooklyn paper was that they didn't understand how to milk that. We, we really had to go out of our way to get their cooperation in stories, positive stories that we would do about the store. And these, these were not like the stories you see now on websites that people do because they get paid for them. We weren't getting hardly anything from ANS, and we didn't really have a big prospect of getting uh, a lot of advertising from them, uh, even though they should have advertised with us. But we wanted to cover them because it was a big story. It was the big business. It was the Amazon.com of downtown Brooklyn. There you and, go. And as they expanded, uh, we, we So you sent, you actually sent reporters to King of Prussia? We, we did. A reporter, photographer, I don't remember. I had a tough time having you send me to Coney Island to cover the Cyclones. <laughs> <laughs> so you sent how many, how many reporters down there? I don't remember. And what was the, what was your big story on the on the King of Prussia opening? It, what was it? it? Was that front page news? I remember we did a bit. Yeah, it was absolutely front page news. We did a whole photo spread, probably a page of photos and a story about their expansion. Now, the flip side of this is that we also covered their shrinkage, uh, not not the merchandise shrinkage, but the shrinkage of the store in Brooklyn. When they sold the warehouse on Livingston, to me that was a signal the end was here. Uh, this was space. Not like now, where everybody's building. There are hotels, there are apartment houses. In those days, nobody wanted that space. So for ANS, this was a liability. This was a chain around their neck, and they didn't need it anymore as a warehouse because, like everybody else, you put the warehouse stuff in Jersey or someplace that's cheaper. Uh, but what are you going to do with the space? Nobody wanted to buy it. So ANS was involved, like Bruce Ratner later, in politics, mm-hmm. and you get your political friends to do favors which generally in, or often involve uh, filling dead space with tenants who uh, are captive to your wishes as a politician or actually buying the space, uh, taking it off your hands. Wow. That's what they did with that uh, large space on, on Livingston. What did they put there? They put the Workers' Compensation Board. <laughs> <laughs> and what's interesting with that is years later, 
when David Walentis uh, was just getting started in Dumbo and he had all this vacant space he needed to get rid of, uh, and the city wasn't allowing him to move forward with his uh, vision of um, residential conversion. This is a long time ago. What did he do with the space? This, if, if he couldn't convert it, it wasn't any good to him. Well, they put workers' comp in Dumbo, which is great because here are people who are injured and can't get around, and now you're sending them to the, probably the one neighborhood anywhere near downtown Brooklyn that had no public transportation. No public transportation at all, yeah. The walk from the F train, York Street, just to get out of the train to get upstairs, it's crazy. Yeah. There's no elevators, no, there's nothing. What's the name of this book? Abraham and Strauss, it's worth a trip from anywhere. If you go online to our website, brooklynpaper.com, Ed, you can click on the link to Amazon. Sure. <laughs> where you can buy it. <laughs> or make your uh, go go to the independent store and say, do you have it? And if not, can you get it? I don't it? think Barnes and Noble and Barnes and Noble probably has it. I just signed there. a bunch of copies over there on Court Street. Okay, yeah. Today. Barnes and Noble on Court Street has it. It's right around the corner from your house. I absolutely will look for this book and uh Try to pick it up for the weekend read. Yeah, Thank I you, listen, I, and I read it in a weekend, so it's it's pretty. Uh, it's, it's a good read. You get right through it. Excellent. All right, Ed. I want to thank you for coming on the show, uh, talking about the years that you spent inside ANS and and watching it uh, expand and contract. It was a pleasure having you on. Uh, wish you the best this holiday season, and uh, we hope to hear from you again soon. All the best to you guys. All take right, you, you take care of yourself, Ed. That was Ed Weintraub. Everybody, did you disconnect? There you go. I still can't hear me. You don't hear you? No. I hear you. Okay. I can hear you. Well, that's good. Maybe we do a commercial. Yeah, we got to take a little break. All right. You go in here and you do this. Oh, look at that. It's nice, right? Soothing. Are you looking for a dentist who provides quality care and affordable price? Well, look no further than Dr. Joseph Lichter. The dentist and skilled hygienist at Dr. Lichter's state-of-the-art office use the most up-to-date technology and techniques to provide you the best experience possible. Dr. Lichter and his staff perform traditional dental procedures such as teeth cleaning, fillings, root canal therapy, and tooth extractions. But in addition, they offer the latest in restorative and cosmetic dentistry, including implants, porcelain veneers and crowns, fixed bridges, and more. These are procedures that can make a broken smile look like new. So what are you waiting for? Isn't it time you visit a high-quality, state-of-the-art dentist who keeps dentistry affordable so everyone can benefit? Call Dr. Lichter's office today at 718-339-7878 to set up an appointment that can improve your quality of life. Dr. Lichter is located at 1420 Avenue P, as in periodontal. It's between East 14th and East 15th Streets in Midwood, and you can visit his website at josephlichterdvs.com. And are you worried that your kids are going to put you in a nursing home and leave you there? <laughs> if you are, you're listening to the right show because we are going to tell you to contact Village Care Max. They're a Medicaid-managed long-term plan that will keep you in your home happy and in your community for as long as possible, not in that nursing home. I'm not even going to go further into that. Village Care Masks, they consist of a team of healthcare professionals that'll help you. They'll talk to your doctors. They'll set you up with appointments. They're even going to organize your medicines to make sure you take your Tuesday pills on a Tuesday. All you got to do is give them a call at 1-800-469-6292 or visit them online at villagecaremax.org and live the life you want to live. 
It's that simple. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you, Vince. That was the most relaxing dental commercial I've ever <laughs> had. I felt, I felt like it was, I, I call it, it's like a vocal massage. Yeah. That was nice. Right? I Everybody feels it. better now, right? Yeah. I think so. I feel better. I Yeah, I feel cleaner. <laughs> so Campo gets all this money, mm-hmm. buys all the stores, and mm-hmm. then what's the death knell for, for ANS? When did it just, when did, when did it go away? And what actually was the reason behind it? Money. <laughs> money just consolidate isn't that always the way johnny yep Cons- well i mean and it's funny because people will also say like these old downtown stores they're expensive they're to maintain they're too big mm-hmm. i mean it's still going on down there even though it's under a uh, under a renovation um but money money they i mean you they were like consolidating names even though oh, we're going to save money on bags we're going to save money on on boxes and you know but and i thought that just seemed absurd at the time but now i think it it may not have been because they're just trying to pinch every penny because of shareholders mm-hmm. we right. want to blame things Besides the cultures of things changing, the demise of the middle class, just the shopping tradition, I mean, the, the, the not having the time for casual whatnot. Why don't we, we could point fingers at just like, you know, we had to really perform for people that own the stock and every little savings here and there because it was becoming a more and more challenging industry to do business. So why did the Macy's name win out? Was it just the most popular name at the time or... Do you want to start smiling again, talking about Miracle on 34th Street that you did when we first started the show? <laughs> I mean, it's it's a national name. It's a national name that had cachet. If let's say you're in, um, let's find a place. Like if you're in um, Billings, Montana, mm-hmm. or or um, Boise, Idaho, you get a Macy's coming to town. I remember what it was like when I lived in Richmond, and a Tower Records came to town, mm-hmm. and a and a Starbucks with a Barnes and Noble. Mm-hmm. That was a coming of age. Right. So at the time, I mean, here's a cost-saving ways. You just kind of you get rid of the little headquarters offices. You consolidate into regional, and you get something that seems like, ooh, we got Macy's in our town. Well, maybe if someone had released that song that I sang earlier in the show, I won't go to Macy's anymore, more, more, and it became a big hit. Well, it doesn't mention. It would have to mention A and S probably in the <laughs> totally different world. At though. some yeah. at some at some point, it would need to mention A and S. I will go to A and S. There you go. (laughs) I wanted to ask you, though, uh, take you to 2017. Is Uh there a department store you guys like or dislike? Well, you know, it's interesting. All this, it's Black Friday and everybody's out. I went to the mall. You know, I still live on Staten Island as much as Susan Weiss doesn't like to hear about it on Brooklyn Paper Radio. I know you're listening, Susan. Um, I went to the mall... uh, couple weekends ago on Staten Island, there's a big expansion going on there. They just added a big, you know, triple-decked parking lot. No um, kidding. And all this talk about, you know, um, about retail being dead. You know, in New York City, uh, New York City's an outlier. There's no doubt about that. I mean, Staten Island has five more, close to 500,000 people. Brooklyn has, you know, three million people. You know, it. there's a lot of people here, and a lot of people still go shopping. And when I was at the mall on Staten Island a few weeks ago, it was packed. Wow. You know, so retail certainly isn't dead. And I think people do like to go out and shop. When we went to the mall, there was the the Rockettes were in one of the stores, you know, signing autographs and stuff like that. There's still ways to get people out there. And I I don't think you really have to try that hard. I mean, that being said, my wife still has 
an Amazon Prime account because it's just nice to be able to go online and, and have something shipped to you uh, the next day for free. Sure. You know? Um, but uh, I still shop at Macy's. I bought a suit at Macy's in, in Fulton Mall a couple of weeks ago. I'll tell you how it worked out. I, I didn't even look for a coupon, even though nowadays you're conditioned to look for a coupon. But I, went, I needed a suit for a wedding I was going to this weekend. I walked over to Macy's. Uh, the, the new store does look great, you know, as when you walk in, especially during the, you know, the reconstruction or whatever you want to call it, it was a disaster area in there. And when I had gone there, you know, before they redid it, I don't know how many floors I I had visited. I would only go to the men's store or something like that. But, you know, I don't remember going in there and, and thinking it was ever that big. I just thought it was very, very messy. And, um, but I went in this weekend. It was, uh, I mean, two weeks ago, I got a suit on sale, Kenneth Cole. Reaction, um, sounds with a shirt mm-hmm. and a tie for two hundred bucks. Did you I, use a coupon? Which I no, I did not use a coupon. Right. That's hot. It was a gr- I thought it was a great deal. I was very happy with it. And then uh, I went to buy shoes, and the shoes that they sell now all have rubber soles. You can't find a leather soled shoe. At least in this in this Macy's over here. Good if so you get hit by lightning, though. I was very upset <laughs> about that because I wanted nice shoes because my, my my old shoes are, were bad and they were I got to throw them out. So I needed a nice pair of black shoes. They didn't have anything that didn't have a a, a rubber sole on it at a, at a reasonable price. Uh, the leather the leather soled shoes were you know two three hundred dollars. I wasn't going to do that. So I left. But when I paid for my suit, they gave me a coupon. Uh, $30 Macy's cash. Hey. Okay. All right? So wh- remember I said I went to the Staten Island Mall uh, the following weekend. I went to the Staten Island Mall. I went to the Macy's there. And again, I'm looking for leather sole shoes. They don't have them. And what they have is too expensive. But I got this coupon for 30 bucks, And I'm like, you know what? Let me see what they have. So I went to the last... Last... Last act. Last act rack. <laughs> and on the last act rack, I found a pair that said it was $32. So All I'm like, right. great. I'll pay $2 for these shoes. Turned out it was like a sale day again. It w- they were twenty two dollars. So I gave them the coupon for thirty bucks, and I was so I walked out with a free pair of shoes. So you can't. How was the wedding? The wedding was great, but you can't <laughs> complain about. I couldn't complain about the service. The only thing I could complain in in the Macy's here in 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 Brooklyn was that they didn't have a tailor. Okay. They say they're going to bring one back. They say during the reconstruction they they don't have a, the, the tailor. But I went early, so I'd have time to get it tailored and. Turned out it didn't need to be tailored, which I don't know if that's good or bad. But you but need a tailor in there because that's what's going to set that star, that, that store, store apart, yeah. apart from the other yeah. places. Yeah, no, that has went, to be. When I was in San, I bought a suit in San Francisco at what's their downtown store? Well, on, they have on, Macy's on Market Street, though. They have uh, well, they had there's a Bloomingdale's there that was part of the Emporium. No, nah, but they had you know, this one brand name. So they have it. It's, it's in Menlo Park. Is it Nordstrom? Could be. Yeah, I think it's Nordstrom. And I went and had Or is that Neiman Marcus is out there? It wasn't Neiman Marcus. I think it was Nordstrom. Yeah. On Market Street. When I lived out in San Francisco, I bought a suit out there. And that was the thing. Like, you walked in, and there was a tailor there. And this guy was a tailor, you know? Yeah. He wasn't just some guy they pulled off the street. This guy was a professional tailor. He was a pro, and he did the... And it was... So when I had gone to that Nordstrom's in, in California, when I came back to, you know, to New York, I went to the Nordstrom... I think it was Nordstrom's in in Menlo Park. Uh, which is really, you know, just a really, really nice store. I mean, these are stores that you like. Now, is Nordstrom's is. part of uh, Federated? 
No, Nordstrom's part of the Nordstrom company. Uh-huh. And the Nordstrom company needs to be careful of how it spends its money. Ooh. And it's spending a lot of money in Manhattan. Oh, are they? And they need to be... Is a, it? Uh, yeah. And this isn't the climate to be spending, I feel, the amount of money that they are for these properties that are around the 57 West 57th Street area. Mm -hmm. And they feel that they want to make their mark in New York. And um, I wish them all the luck. I mean, this that's a make or break kind of thing. I'm wondering, can I say something about Black sure. Friday for a second? Sure. You see that, I mean, it's I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but it's retail dead. I mean, I don't believe it is. Mm -hmm. But sales and profits are different. Right. If you're in a busy store... And that's not going to mean anything if it's not if, if it's not going to be a profit. Mm -hmm. I mean, having high sales, no. it's and I think people um, don't realize that to some degree. Right. If you're if you show up at a store when everything is is selling at, at you know uh, at a, at a rate that it's not going to make the company a profit, what's the you know what's the point? Do you know that you, know? you made me uh, jolt? A little earlier in the in the interview, because so? you said you went did all your shopping at Macy's Herald Square on a Tuesday. Yeah, that is not a sale day. <laughs> that is, I mean, historically, like from when coupons, when promotions became right. Tuesday was a regular price day. You oh, waited yeah? till Wednesday for customer appreciation day, followed by the one day sale one day sale later in the week. So when you said Tuesday, no, was, I uh, would go on a day when no one would be there. My, the thing for me was I didn't want to wait in lines. If I was buying my mother a watch or something yeah. like that, I didn't want to have to. You, you made know. me grind my teeth on that <laughs> Tuesday. I need to get the name Joseph of the director. Yeah, you sound good. I always got good deals. I always felt I got good deals. <laughs> yeah. I never, I never really worried about, you know, that end of it. I just didn't want to be there on a day when it was packed. And back, this is, you know, in the '90s, you know, you would go shopping on the weekends and you couldn't get around the store. You couldn't yeah. find if you went. We used to go out to Jersey a lot too, and we'd go. I, I always liked Menlo Park. You know, I would go after Macy's. Uh, after ANS closed at Willowbrook, I would go to. Menlo. Are you talking about Willowbrook or Woodbridge? I'm sorry, I said Willowbrook. I meant Woodbridge. Thank you. Yeah, Wood, the Woodbridge Mall. The Woodbridge <laughs> Mall. Correct. Woodbridge Center. Yeah, Woodbridge Center right. Mall. I'm That's where I used to go to ANS <laughs> or ANSs. There you go. Then it became Sears, and now it's a mess. Yeah, okay. I don't go. I don't go. I don't go to Woodbridge anymore. I only right. go to Menlo Park. Menlo okay. Park's a much nicer mall, but. Now that they redid, they redid the Staten Island, or they're in the process of redoing the Staten Island Mall, so that's going to be yeah, that's going to be uh, nice. But Kings Kings Plaza's out in um, out out in uh, Marine Park. I've been there. I was there when that that series opened. I know we got we're running out of time, Johnny. I need an opinion on IKEA before we get out. of You here, wanted to talk about IKEA? What do no, you want I know? want your opinions. I hate it. It's shaped like a maze. You can't get from here to there without seeing everything. I want to know. Am I alone? Well, why do you think it's shaped like a maze so you have to go buy every piece but of merchandise? Too obvious. Well, it's I, too obvious. Well, then know? find the cut through. Yeah. I mean, what I don't know. Okay, Ikea, you know what you're getting. You know who your customer is. You're not going in there just, I mean, you know what to expect. Right. I don't know if the food department um, makes a profit. It's good food, the, though. It well, begin. You know, it's different food, and but usually those are kind of unprofitable areas of stores or whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, I, IKEA is what it is. It's not. I mean, that it's it has defined its role, and like it or not, it. Um, then I have to say that um, I don't diss it. All right, you just like to have a store there. Well, you know what it is. I mean, at least yeah. it's not just this bland thing that brought a lot of these bigger retailers down because they didn't know what they were. <clears throat> Lord and Taylor, sorry. Oh man. <clears throat> now fired. I know. I know we gotta go. It's getting dark out. <laughs> <laughs> 
the Sears. We wanted to talk about the Sears. I love, yeah. All right. There is a Sears. Oh. Uh, is it? It's on it, what? Oh, it's a strange street. What is it? Um, it's not Flatbush. It's a, no, 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 but it's, it's right it's, off of Flatbush. Is it on you Nostrand? can't miss it. I should have. But it's done a my... beautiful building. Oh, I just want to genuflect when I drive by that. Thing. It is a beautiful building. I know they they probably got rid of the windows at some point. Sure. I think at some point they called it Fort Sears. <laughs> but it's an absolute. I have I I've been outside it. I might have went into it once or twice. But it's a big old department store, and it's here in Brooklyn, and it's like that's a taste of that uh, that old time thing at, at a Sears, which wasn't you know wasn't like your upscale Macy's, wasn't your like how would you consider Sears to me was like it was upscale Kmart, you know Sears, um, yeah, I mean that's back just, in the day Sears I go to now when I want to feel glum, but sometimes <laughs> I do like to feel glum, and um, it's just kind of this you know just to see that. That kind of deteriorate. It's been deteriorating since like the 1970s. You know what Sears, you know what Sears was for me? America. When, when we were kids, we would get around Thanksgiving the Sears catalog. Yeah. And that was our Christmas book. And we would sit there as little kids and we'd go through the Sears catalog and circle the toys, mm, that, toys. We, that we wanted. You know? And that's how we made our Christmas list was through the Sears catalog. And it was thick like a phone book. You know? <laughs> We never ordered anything from the catalog, and God knows my parents probably went to, to, to um, well, we would rely on my parents to get some stuff from Toys R Us. Other stuff came from Santa, of course. Right. You know, they were made at the shop at the North Pole. But we would pick it out from the, from the Sears catalog, and then, you know, we had a Sears near our house. And these, these places also provided jobs. Sure. Like full-time jobs. I had people that lived on my block that worked at Sears as sales reps, and, and you know, they were, that, was a, that was a real job. You know, nowadays... I don't know if, if retail offers that. When I worked at Foot Locker, nah. I was making minimum wage. Sure, the manager made a decent salary, but that was about it. The one thing I did learn with Sears I think is very important, which also helped build up its customer base, whether especially in the urban sense, is that you cannot discriminate through the mail. Mm-hmm. So when there was all the – I mean, you know, these stores were not open. They were not open to everybody. It's yeah. hard to say, you oh, these that. department stores were everything to everybody. You mentioned, not, that, yeah. you mentioned that in the book, and you mentioned that, that ANS was one of the stores that – you know, didn't really have a policy against people because the people that lived in Brooklyn were all different. Uh... I knew people from the Bronx that were coming down to shop here because they could. They didn't have to shop downstairs. I we're not ending this show uh-huh. until I ask you who cut the ribbon to that Sears nineteen thirty two beautiful steer still open. Who cut that ribbon? Nineteen thirty two FDR. Close, Eleanor Roosevelt. <laughs> yeah, giving the uh, the applause on that. Um, give you a ding. <laughs> <laughs> one of three Sears in the New York area. Um, two of them are still open. The other one's in Hackensack. The other one was in Union City. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an icon down there. I mean, the fact that you guys here in Brooklyn have a department store that's still open. Uh, it's not A and S anymore, but it's open. You have a department store that's downtown. That is an anomaly in this country. Mm-hmm. You have a Sears down there, which is part of what big city America. America was all over. That's another anomaly here. You guys have such great identity in Brooklyn. It was a joy to research this book and to learn a lot more about what made Brooklyn tick. I absolutely loved it and learned so much and enjoyed this borough even more. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show. and I want to thank you for writing the book about our beloved ANS, in case you haven't heard, Michael Lisicki's book, Abraham and Strauss, It's Worth a Trip from Anywhere. If you can pick it up at a retail outlet near you, 
He just signed some over at the Barnes and right. Noble on Court Street. You can head over there. That is a brick and mortar store. <laughs> <laughs> very nice store in a very ugly building. It, okay. okay. It is a very nice store in a very ugly building. <laughs> which is a decent the, movie theater though. You know? I don't like the movie theater. I prefer the 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 new one over here, the uh, Alamo. They do the dinner. I like the Alamo dinner theater. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I don't know where I'm going to see Jedi, <laughs> but it might be it might be, might be there. It might be at Alamo. It's not going to be at, at UA Court Street. Got to give them a round of applause. Yeah, absolutely, Michael. I want to oh. thank you again for coming on. And now this is the point in the oh, show where I yep, stare at yep. Johnny. Like, oh, that's, I got to learn that that's what I the stare, stare at Johnny is, you until, know, until he plays the music. I, I want to thank our sponsors, Dr. Joseph Lichter, Village Care Max. I want to thank all of our callers that's right. who called us on the line. I want to thank Ed Weintrobe, my old boss, famously known for his short arms and deep <laughs> pockets. <laughs> Ed Weintrobe. Uh, for his recollections of uh, ANS. And I want to thank the listeners. And uh, we will be back next week, Johnny. I hope so. All right. Check us out next week on uh, Brooklyn Paper Radio. Thanks again.